This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today at netsuite.com. Also, thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for, so you can hire the right person fast. Find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Bertie Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Mm, hello. Have I already called you Bertie Brokamp? I don't believe so. Well, there we and go. I'm thrilled by it. In this week's episode, the Choose Fi guys are back! Yay! Hooray! All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, uh, Allison, what's up? Well, you know, bro, if anyone's going to move the market, it's got to be the President of the United States, right? I mean, all that power and influence, it has to count for something. You'd think so. You'd think so. So, when looking at Google Trends, you happen to see, wouldn't yes. you know it, a massive spike in the interest in the terms of Trump and stocks the week of November 6th through 12, 2016. Hmm. And it just so happened to have been the week following Trump getting elected. And along with that, you see a lot of articles like Seven Stocks for a Trump Presidency, wherein the writers make assumptions about which stocks are going to perform well with Trump in the White House. So a few years in, how are those stock picks panning out? Let's take a fairly unscientific look, shall we? <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Very short on time for planning for this week's episode. So go easy on me, everybody. All right. So I scrounged up three articles from back in the day and did some very rough back of the envelope math to see how well did these stock prognosticators do when trying to figure out what Trump's presidency would mean for some companies and industries. So let's start with six stocks to buy when Donald Trump is president from the street. So, do you have any guesses on what some of these stocks are going to be, or do you just want me to, or do you want me to tell you the stocks and you can guess if they're up or down? Uh, well, no, I assume this. they would be like financial services companies and oil companies mm-hmm. because they're mm-hmm. going to, you know, the Trump administration is going to remove all mm-hmm. these environmental protections mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the street, no, first pick was Apple. Because of something called tax repatriation, which I did not have time to research. (laughs) The idea being that if you have a bunch of money outside of the U.S., we'll let you bring it back into the U.S. and uh, at a lower tax rate. Right? Yeah, a lot of companies are storing their money overseas because they don't. If they bring it back to the U.S., they'd they'd have to pay taxes. Yeah. So I don't know why that means that Apple's stock price would go up, but that they picked Apple for that. Okay. All right. Another one, Geo Group, which is private prisons. Okay. ExxonMobil. We laugh, but it's actually very sad. <laughs> it's funny because it hurts. It hurts so much. Uh, yeah, again, ExxonMobil for oil. Smith & Wesson, the gun <laughs> guns, manufacturer, course, which um, later became American Outdoor Brands. Uh, HCA Holdings, which manages hospitals. Oh. This one, because apparently Trump had promised that uh, to kind of overhaul the VA system hmm. and allowing uh, veterans to go to any hospital, not just a VA hospital. Yep. Yep. And then this one is just so on the nose. It's just, it's it's quite funny. Uh, Semex, the... Uh, Mexico-based construction company. A Mexican company? And oh, because... They were going to build the wall. The wall. 
That's how Mexico is going to pay for it. They're right? going to provide the concrete. And so this company was going to benefit. Um, Actually, they're not concrete walls. That's a thing, though. <laughs> so a lot of these were based on, at this point, of course, nothing but campaign promises, right? So it's really like, how, how does anything? How do you know for sure that something's going to come through? Um, do you want me to tell you how how uh, these stocks performed, or do you want me to move on to the next one and then I can tell you how everyone? Let's move to the next one. Okay, we'll the next one. Hey, you know what? Not to be outdone, six stocks for Trump? How about seven from The Motley Fool? Yes, that's right. Those Someone people. from The Motley Fool wrote an article, seven top stocks to buy with Trump as the president. What do they know? So, along the same lines of Apple and tax repatriation, uh, this analyst said, buy General Electric. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's so easy to look back now and laugh, isn't well, so it? That, I guess I'm that sorry. could be the financial service, and maybe also the manufacturing part of it. I they said tax repatriation was it. I don't, I don't know. know why. Anyway. It hasn't worked out. Uh, it hasn't worked out. Uh, Cheesecake Factory, because individual <laughs> tax cuts are going to result in people eating out more. Uh, interesting. Uh, Kinder Morgan Energy. Okay. Energy infrastructure, uh, Bank of America because of like you said deregulation, General Dynamics, defense, oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, Celgene, the biotech company hmm. because of uh, again deregulation uh, possible with like uh, pricing drugs and that kind oh, of thing. Yeah. yeah, and then free is it right to say Freeport McMoran McMoran? Uh, yes, it's the copper mining company. Um, this one because of Trump promising uh, $1 trillion in infrastructure investment. Oh. All right. Last one I looked at Kiplinger's best stocks for a Donald Trump presidency. Their first stock pick there was Coach Bags, which later became Tapestry. Uh, the, the idea here was consumer spending from tax yeah. cuts and a crackdown on counterfeit Chinese goods. Oh. Uh, ExxonMobil, Energy. The Geo Group, again, for private prisons. Lazy Boy. <laughs> Because people sit around and watch Fox News. No, because Trump said uh, is one of his campaign promises that he was going to bring manufacturing back to the U.S. And Lazy Boy already manufactures most oh. of their stuff in the U.S. So oh, that's good. Merck again because of the uh, healthcare company, the drug company, because uh, Trump uh, would not regulate drug prices in theory. Smith and Wesson again for guns. <laughs> And then Vulcan Materials, the largest U.S. producer of construction aggregates, such as gravel and crushed stone. So, again, an infrastructure problem. Right, right, right. All right. So, now there's a lot of numbers that I could just keep (laughs) shouting at you. But going with the street, on average, uh, had you bought these stocks, the average return here was about 27%. But that was because... Apple was the one that did really well. Yeah. Um, without Apple, the returns would be a lot less. HCA Holdings, the hospital, uh, the company that manages hospitals, also did well with about ninety three percent returns. Well, that's Not bad, good. right? Yeah. Uh, Motley Fool, when looking at their picks, well, as you know, there is a couple stinkers here. Particularly, GE has not mm. done so well. Cheesecake Factory has not done so well. Bank of America is up very well, one hundred forty six percent. Uh, General Dynamics, the defense regulator, up about 37%. If you'd gone with the Motley Fool's picks, the average return was about 40%. Not bad. Not bad. Kiplingers. Uh, again, they were tech Coach, ExxonMobil, Geo Group, Lazy Boy. Um, the big winner here was Lazy Boy. Really? Yeah, which saw 71% returns. Uh, followed by Merck, which is up about 60%, and Vulcan Materials, which is up about 50%. So compare that to the S&P, which is up over 50% since then. So that makes a lot of these stock picks look even worse. (laughs) 
this is super back of the envelope. And so there's these articles did not all come out the day the same day. They didn't anyway, blah 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 blah. But anyway, the point is is that I have a broader point. What's your broader point? My broader point is honestly, this is just a reminder that no one can predict what is going to happen in the economy, especially based on campaign promises. If you remember with Obama, he was going to make all the solar and wind stocks just shoot through the roof. And sure enough, they did do quite well for a little while. Yeah, and then that's a while. Right? And so, and so in the same way, the people thought with Trump, well, coal stocks are going to energy, the oil, this all this all this is just it's just going to go through the roof, right? So, just saying that Republicans equals guns for babies and Democrats <laughs> mean solar panels for senior citizens is an oversimplification that ignores all the aspects that really matter when you're investing in a company. Like, do they have good management? Do they allocate capital wisely? Do they have pricing power? Etc. Etc. And while you're certainly free to speculate how any one president may move the markets and move stocks, it's more fulfilling to invest in the world you want to live in and not the one you think you're going to get just because of whoever is in power right now. And that, bro, is what's up. Thanks to NetSuite for supporting Motley Fool Answers. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And if you're a small business owner, you probably have a hodgepodge of business systems. You have one for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. It's just a big, inefficient mess, taking up too much time and too many resources, and that hurts your bottom line. Well, introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, Money and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com fool. That's netsuite.com fool to download your free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits. netsuite.com fool. We Americans aren't known for being a nation of savers. The typical American saves less than 10% of their income, which means most will have to work well into their 60s and in many cases rely on debt to pay the bills. But there are some people who are not typical. They somehow manage to save 50% to 80% of their incomes, which means they can retire much sooner, sometimes in their 30s or 40s, or they gain the financial independence to choose to work because they want to and not because they have to. Today, we welcome back to the show two such people, Brad Barrett and Jonathan Mendonza of the Choose FI website and podcast. Guys, great to have you back. Welcome back. Yeah, Thanks thank for you. for coming back. Yeah. We're sure everyone listened to the last episode, but just in case they don't remember everything or this is their first time, give us a quick bio on each of you, just a little background on your stories. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So, my name's Jonathan, and um, I became a pharmacist, graduated from school and became a pharmacist and graduated at the same time with $168,000 in student loan debt, paid down the debt within the next, you know, four or five years on this mad rush to get back to broke, uh, which is kind of depressing when you think about it, this 12-year cycle, getting back to broke just at the age of like, you know, around 30 Working all that time to have a zero net worth. Yeah. Yeah, gosh, let's not go. Yeah. Anyways, the plan though was uh, the plan was to get back to broke and then now start using that savings rate. If you pay off one hundred sixty eight thousand dollars in a relatively short period of time, you by definition have a pretty epic savings rate. So now I have you know reclaim the saving, reclaim that money that was going to student loans, and I can use that to now start you know trying to achieve this level of financial independence that you addressed in the intro and. 
Um, the story from there gets a little bit interesting. It's kind of a sidebar, and maybe we could talk about it later, but actually along the way, I started a small side hustle with my co-host Brad here. And along the way, I kind of got, I had the choice. And there's, there's actually a little bit of a story there. We can go into a little more detail later, but I had the choice to basically walk away from from my job in a pharmacy, even though kind of that last 12 years have been in that effort, in that profession, I kind of walked away and I'm now doing something totally different. And I guess like my take on this whole thing is that you get most of the benefits of financial independence long before you reach some, some number. And I think that actually is in slight contrast to really even Brad's story. Yeah. Yeah. My story certainly is, is the more conventional, if you will, uh, of the financial independence stories. But yeah, it's important to note there for Jonathan, he was able to leave his job as a, a retail pharmacist not because he had reached some mythical number, but because he had put in place all the groundwork, right? He had cut his expenses to the bone. He had been saving diligently, right? So that enabled him some degree of flexibility and freedom to choose what he wanted to with his time, which is ultimately what financial independence is all about. So yeah, I mean, my story, I am a CPA, my wife's a CPA. We lived in a high cost of living area. We're from Long Island, New York. We got married and we decided we would always have to give something up to live there on Long Island. We'd have to both work. We'd have to maybe not save as much for retirement or maybe not travel. It was We could have made a life, but it wasn't the life we wanted. And I think that's the crucial piece. And, and we made the difficult decision to move away from our family and friends down to Richmond, Virginia, which is a wonderful place to live. But... That was, that was a decision, a hard decision that we made, but it was in service of a larger goal. And for us, that was Laura staying at home with our future fictional kids at that point. And future fictional kids is like yeah. my favorite single line <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we were thinking about that and we were thinking about what does a life look like? And in the subsequent years, it, it has borne out, which is amazing. You know, we set this plan in place when we were 25 years old. And I had a 13-year working career. And that was with my wife staying home with the kids for a good portion of that, albeit she was working during tax-busy season and such. But she was a stay-at-home mom. And so there was no level of deprivation. There was nothing that we were living like misers. We were living a nice middle or even upper middle-class life. But yet, because of intentional decisions we made to save money, to not buy new cars, to not spend a ton of money on going out to eat, just these simple things while still living a great life, we reached a point where we can say we're financially independent. And I just want to add one more thing on to Brad's story, just for our audience to kind of recap here. Like financial independence is getting to this point where working is optional. And one of the ways that we we can kind of project out how long it's going to take you to reach financial independence, in Brad's case, he talked about a 13-year working career as we talk about savings rate. And so the easiest way in my mind to get this idea across is that to your audience, if someone's listening to this and they're paycheck to paycheck, they are using credit cards just to get to the next pay period. You can never retire. You need that credit card. You need that paycheck just to make it to the next pay period, right? If you could save 1% of your income, then that means that every 99 years you work, you could afford to take a year off. There's a problem with this though, because you can only run so many of those cycles. We scale, and then you talked about savings rate earlier in the intro. We scale that up now. You're saving 25% of your income. This is really good. This is actually an aggressive savings rate that many financial advisors are hoping for their clients, right? Now, every three years you work, you have enough to take one year off. But if you could somehow somehow, and maybe not all at once, but incrementally approach this 50% savings rate, you work a year. And it's very simple math. Like This is the heart of all of this is it needs to be simple. 
And I think complexity is used to your great disadvantage in many aspects of financial planning. But in this case, it needs to be simple and understandable. If you can save 50% of your income every year you work, you have enough to take an additional year off. And if you can invest that using common sense investment strategies, making average market returns, this is not even about beating the market. That's great if you do, but if you can just keep up with the market, getting average market returns in a relatively short period of time, say 10 to 15 years, you're not going, you're going to be at the point where working is optional. And that's what Brad, that is exactly what Brad saw in his, in his path. And when I heard Brad actually talking about his story as like two accountants on modest salaries, implementing geo, domestic geo arbitrage, just moving from a high cost of living area to Richmond, where I happened to live. And I was like, wow, this is real. And I connected with him for lunch and I pitched him on this idea of you have this one individual that's kind of just done it right and has done it. And me, someone that is getting back to broke in my late 20s, right? Does this still work? I, I have this plan. I'm going to do this going forward. What if we could document this together, right? And that was the entire impetus for the show is the vast majority of people listening to this haven't aren't there looking back. They're listening because they're on the path. Does this still work? It's great, but is it too late? Will it make a difference? And it, I mean, it works. It works. And so kind of what we found over time, well, the initial idea was going to be, hey, Brad and Jonathan on this journey, our community which I mean, is an, uh, really blown up in size. It's actually incredible how many people decided they wanted to be on this journey with us and they're sharing their own versions of the story. And so the show, Choose FI, and the book is really intended to highlight the, the patterns, you know, the, the synergies that we see because it's simple, it's not always easy, right? And, and people are coming at this from different places, although we're doing a lot of the same things we're maybe having to overcome different obstacles, different baggage, poor financial decisions that we're having to work through. And the way you work through those make this so invaluable to those that are coming after you. Because me personally, I could never be, I could never be a trailblazer. I just, I'm too scared, right? I have that fear. Will it work? I don't want to go out there and try something that's never been done before. I just don't have that risk tolerance, but I can follow a path that other people have set. If I see the pattern and I know it works and if it's simple, it's just obvious. If you know that it's fundamentally right, why wouldn't you do that? Well, you just mentioned the book. So congratulations. The book came out in October. That looks awesome. It looks thank great. You, it you. is. Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence, co-written with by Chris Mamula, who also followed this trail, right? So he was a physical therapist, retired at age 41, or at least changed his lifestyle at age 41. Uh, and the book is just full of stories of people who have done it. And you've laid out a great ordered way to figure it out. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that was one of the things when you when you when, with our podcast. First of all, as you as you know, when you started your podcast, the podcast is not linear. Podcasts just aren't that format. It's the information is kind of building on itself, but it's kind of as you encounter the information. But over time, you go from a discrete concept to kind of more of a philosophy or a worldview, and you actually see the patterns. You see that guests that are coming from different angles. You see the overlap. Like, what are they doing? What do they have in common? And the great thing is, when someone picks up, they can listen to all the episodes going forward, and they can try to pick through the episodes in the past based on the title that they think might serve them. But you really, in a perfect world, Brad, we'd like for people to interact with this content in a comprehensive way. Right. So it was basically, if we could go back and create the podcast in a linear fashion, this is what it would look like. So we call it your blueprint to financial independence. It's here's here's all the information from the first, let's say, 100 or so episodes of Chooseify. Now, naturally... And Jonathan alluded to this before, financial independence and life, I mean, it's, it's about choices. And it's not about one set path. So we like to call it, it's a blueprint. But in essence, it's a choose your own adventure. You have to take action. As Jonathan said before, if you're living paycheck to paycheck or getting into credit card debt, you're never going to reach any point where you can retire. I don't care, early, late, ever, right? 
So you have to take action to make your life better. And it's not my place as a host of some podcast to say, you have to do X, Y, and Z to be a card-carrying member of the financial independence community. Like That is not how we believe at all. We say there are hundreds of different things you can do to make your life better today. Here is a whole host of them. You have to get up off the couch and take action and maybe for the first time be honest with where you are, right? If you're starting, so many people stick their head in the sand when it comes to, when it comes to their finances, right? They have no idea where they're even starting from. So, I mean, what I counsel is, all right, you may have made bad decisions in the past. I've made bad decisions. We all have, right? Nobody's perfect. But you have to be honest with yourself. Get it on paper. It might be ugly, honestly. But get it on paper in front of you. What do I spend every month? What comes in? What are my assets? What do I owe? And then you can move forward and make decisions based on what you value. But you have to make decisions. Let's be perfectly clear here, right? You have to take actions that are going to make tomorrow and every tomorrow thereafter better. And it starts literally today. Another exciting development for you guys is that you're now movie stars (laughs) because you make cameos in the new documentary Playing With Fire um, by Scott Rickens. Um, And as of today, actually, it's now available on Amazon and Google Play and iTunes. Highly recommend it. Um, So it's basically the story of Scott and his wife on their road to financial independence. And the fire part is financial independence, retire early. And you guys had Scott on the show, on your podcast, right as he was beginning this. Um, and it was clear his wife wasn't totally on board yet. So I remember him saying, you know, he, he basically, he was listening to the Tim Ferriss blog, came across, and the guest was Mr. Money Mustache, who's sort of like a big deal in the fire movement now. He becomes obsessed with this, proposes it to his wife, maybe we can do this. They're living this high-cost lifestyle. They're leasing a BMW, living outside of San Diego. He proposes that we change all of that so that we can reach financial independence in a 10 years or so. And his wife is basi- basically says, if this is possible, why isn't everyone doing it? So I'm going to pose that question to you because everyone wants financial independence, but most people are not doing enough to achieve it. And certainly most people are not saving 50% or more of their incomes. Yeah, you know, I think this is so multifactorial, but just for the sake of this conversation, let's just look at a couple obvious things. One of them is that we have to have all the stuff. We have to have all the things. And this is by intent, right? I mean, businesses, what they do is they create exchanges of value, right? And and, and for many people, that value is a very arbitrary thing. And at some point it becomes corrupted and we just have to have everything like, and, and we have to have it because our neighbors have it and our neighbors have it because of whatever. And it's just trying to keep up with the Joneses. And so perfect example, if you look at kind of this distortion effect in the 1950s and sixties, we had thousand square feet houses. Now we have on average, well over 2000 square feet. When you have a 2000 square foot house, you have to furnish all the extra rooms, maybe the enormous 3000 or 4,000, et cetera. You can't have one car. You need two cars, you know, and now to maintain that you have to have both people working, but now you have extra money and now you can afford the payments. Now we have cell phones. Our parents and grandparents didn't have cell phones. And so I think there's, there's, there's a part of this is it's that Brad, it's that, that frog in water, right? It's, a, it's lukewarm water and the water decreases one degree at a time and the frog's fine. The frog's fine. And at some point that water becomes boiling. And the problem is sometimes we don't realize, and the frog never gets out because it's just been increasing one degree at a time. And the problem is if you compare that to your life, you may be in your fifties before you realize that the water is boiling. You may be in your sixties and now you're suddenly awake and you're like realizing 
when you make the choice to purchase something, you're exchanging your life energy for that stuff, right? So you earn this money and then you make the choice to spend this money on some stuff. And and really it's that, that question of how much do you value this? How much are you getting out of it? But I think the biggest problem, and Brad, I think both of us have kind of highlighted this in the past, is the idea of spending, like let's say you put all your energy into keeping the new car, the leasing the BMW. But that BMW kind of keeps you trapped and that BMW may represent the overinflated house and everything else. It keeps you trapped at a job you barely tolerate while it's sitting unoccupied in the parking lot 90% of the time so that you can afford the payments. You don't get there on day one, but you might get there because you deserve it. You deserve this, you deserve that because, because, because. And at some point you look up and it's too late. Like that's the insipid nature of marketing that's not checked. We talk about drift state. You drift here. You don't intentionally make the choice to be underwater. You make the choice because you can afford the payments. You deserve the stuff. You deserve the lifestyle. And you don't even necessarily verbalize that. Maybe that choice is made just because it's been a stressful week or whatever, because your neighbor's doing it because it's the new norm. We don't have anybody else. I talked about trailblazing earlier. Who's trailblazing a different path? Everywhere you see, everybody's trying to spend up to their eyeballs. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's the point is everybody thinks there's some secret right? Like there's some insider information to succeed at life. Or if this was so easy to your question, why isn't everybody doing it? Right. But what did Jonathan say? Why he got into this? He heard Brad, this random guy, Brad on a podcast and said, wow, that guy's doing this in my hometown. This is not just people on the internet. These are real human beings who are living nice, normal lives. Like I always say, I'm kind of living a middle or upper middle class life, just maybe a little bit smarter. You know, just I'm not doing anything crazy. There's no one on my block who doesn't know me that would think we're living any kind of different life from anybody else. And yet we've reached financial independence in our mid to late 30s. And we live a perfectly happy life that, you know, as I call it, we're rolling in abundance. That's what I feel like. But yet we're saving 50 plus percent of our money. And I think a lot of it comes down to, like with Scott's, as you mentioned, Scott Rickens and his wife Taylor, it comes down to why are we doing this, right? And I think a lot of people don't have, don't have a plan. And actually, Scott presented our episode, The Why of Phi, to his wife Taylor, and it got her to think about why would we pursue this path? Why would we step off the normal narrative of spending all of our money, having the least BMW? And to her, it came down to the things that I truly enjoy in life don't cost that much money. Reading to my daughter, taking walks with my family, having a glass of wine for a happy hour with my husband every Doesn't day, need right? to be expensive. It just needs to be alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what she said. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she said. Yeah. And you know, those things don't cost that much. So you mean if we can save money and reframe that from what's the common narrative? The common narrative is saving money is deprivation. Oh, YOLO, why don't you spend it, right? But so change that frame and say you're saving for the ultimate luxury, which is your time, your precious, precious time to spend as you see fit. And I can tell you personally, like I get to spend my time now in ways that I couldn't have imagined. Like my wife and I, actually Jonathan just mentioned this and it was the most amazing post I had uh, my 14th anniversary yesterday actually. And my wife posted on Facebook, which is, thank you, incredibly sweet. She said, the last three months have been the best of our lives. And they truly have been. It's because of little things. It's because now we go to CrossFit together three times a week at 9.30 in the morning. 
Like, who else is at CrossFit? Right. Like, we have. Uh, they uh, have the class to themselves, <laughs> and not because it's a reserved class. Right. No, it's just us, you know? And we're, we have my mom in town to babysit, and we get to go out on these happy hours every Friday. It's the little things in life, but, but they make a difference. And when you have your time, you have everything. So I'll just very quickly mention, because we talked about the cars there. Jonathan, you and I had a conversation earlier today. How much did you spend for your most recent car? Uh, so I have a uh, 1998 uh, Ford Expedition, Eddie Bauer edition, that I uh, purchased for $1,000. Five CD changer. Yeah, nice. six CD changer. Do not shortchange oh, me. Let me tell you a little changer. story about this. In 1998, right? 1998, I was in high school, and my buddy was carpooling me there, and he was driving a brand new 1998 Ford Expedition, Eddie Bauer edition that he had been gifted from his parents as a gift for going to, I guess, to high school. And I was carpooling, and I was in this ride. And at the time, I think at some level, I must have known. You know, I looked at the car, and I said, I'll see you in 20 years. <laughs> That's when that depreciates. But let me tell you, let me talk about that just for a second. So Brad runs this analogy that we just, we just love. And it's, he runs this case study and it's from his personal life. It actually directed his decision to buy a new, at the time, 2003 Honda Civic. And, uh, and this which case, he still has. Yeah, he still has. And so this case study, this one individual always has to have all the things, right? And when they get tired of their car, they upgrade to the next car. So this individual, every like three or four or five years, they're upgrading their car and they're always going to have, they can always afford the payments. They're always going to have that $300, $350 a month payment, right? The other individual is kind of, more on this path. They're having a little bit of tension. They can't afford to pay for that first car outright. So they're going to get that first new car, but they're going to pick a, not, a modest new car, you know, a, probably a 20,000 ish vehicle car. They're going to have it paid off in five years. And then, so they're going to have payments for five years and then they're going to have no payments for 10 years. Right. And so every 15 years, they're going to buy that new car and then they're going to drive it for forever. The equivalent being about 15 years, they're going to have three cars over their investing lifetime. These two individuals start off on this path together. It's a 45-year investing timeline. The one individual always has payments. The other one takes that 10-year gap in between when the five years is paid off, and they take that 10 years of no payments. They invest that, making average market returns. The difference at the end of that 45-year investing timeline, unshocking to those of us that look at compound interest calculations, is roughly a million dollars, right? Yeah. The difference between Brad staying in Long Island and coming here to Richmond, the difference in cost of living there, investing the difference, roughly a million dollars. And the difference between investing like a, like something like applying attention to your grocery budget. Brad uses this anchor of $2 per person per meal in terms of mapping it out. I got a second story. I'll tack on to that. But him and his wife actually plan how much, like plan their meals out, right? And if you can get, come close, approximate $2 per person per meal, you're going to shave, you're going to shave hundreds of dollars yeah. off your food budget. That savings is roughly over an investing timeline, a million dollars. And then you can compress that timeline and you can see how no one on the outside is going to, is going to see that he's not going to get credit from his friends and family. He doesn't look like success as he's on this path. He's driving a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I don't look, look like success like a at bum. all. Yeah, right. I on the path, I my he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't have the best house. He doesn't have the flashiest car and they, they have gorgeous, wonderful food, but like it's home cooked, right? They're not out at the restaurants every week, but along this way, even before you hit your actual number, you realize that if you never saved another penny, like, like we call this coast fi. You get, let's say you have several hundred thousand dollars in your account in your mid thirties. Right. And then you realize, you know what? I want to unwind. I want to be paycheck to paycheck. I'm never going to go back into debt, but you just realize just by having front loaded that energy, that effort, you are going to have more than most people have at traditional retirement. If you just let what you've saved rest in and grow in those accounts, that's the incredible yeah. part of just leaning into this as quickly as possible. And so this movie is literally a call to action to the millions of people that will be exposed to it as it hits like Netflix and Amazon Prime and all these sorts of vehicles to say, are you drifting 
Or are you just asking yourself, am I getting a, a, a value from the choices that I'm making? Every single time I make the decision to purchase stuff, instead, I'm making the decision not to purchase my freedom, right? I'm exchanging my life energy for stuff and you get a finite amount of that. So if you're going to, what, what we recommend you do is basically, if you're gonna buy something, buy the ultimate luxury, right? Buy your time, buy back decades of your life because that just gives you options. And I think all of us want more options in our life. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Urgency can be your enemy when it comes to finding candidates that are truly meant for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. Visit linkedin.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Again, that's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so in your book, you uh, highlight what I thought were some either intriguing or clever concepts. Some of them come from you, some of them don't. But let's do this rapid fire. I'm going to throw a few of them out here, and you just give me your take on them. So first of all, FI is a superpower and FU money. Yeah, that's one that I would love to talk about just for a second, because I think if you really think about the way our story is framed, you have someone that had reached financial independence and someone that's on the path, someone that like a madman got back to broke, right? Which in the context of what I just said, sounds like kind of a bad thing. But in reality, I'm finally broke again. Mm -hmm. I've had six figures of student loan debt this entire time. I've lost that decade between my 30s based on this traditional path that America said looks like success. Get the degree at any cost, get the job, whatever, whatever. I'm finally back to broke. And now I have my future ahead of me, right? And I can start working towards this financial independence goal. What's crazy based on what, what Brad was saying earlier is now I have this incredible savings rate that I use to pay off the student loans. And very quickly, I was able to save up several years worth of expenses, like two or three years worth of expenses. And I have this 50% plus savings rate for the first time. It's really going into my, into my pockets, right? And as opposed to just paying back the government. And on top of that, because I had this high savings rate, my life didn't cost a whole lot, right? We had kept our lifestyle at this particular point in time for this season of life, our life cost in between 30 to $40,000 a year. And what happened was very, very interesting. Brad and I started this project, Choose FI, and it was a way of like really documenting our journey and our community really leaned into it and it grew. And what happened is it started to produce a small amount of income, right? I mean, it wasn't replacing my income as a pharmacist, which was pretty, I mean, significant, like entry level six figures, yeah. but it was, I could see after a period of time where it was on track to pretty you know, replace my expenses. It was about to cover all my expenses. And in the context of that, in the context of it growing, in the context of having no debt, a lean lifestyle and several years of expenses save up, something happened. This documentary wanted to actually come film with us. The exact one you're talking about wanted to come film with us. We wanted to go to a conference, which is in our space called FinCon. And that was a way for us to network. And then uh, the third one, and I say this for last, it's really the most important. I wanted to go visit my, my wife's family. And my wife is from Zimbabwe. It takes like 20 hours to get there. So this isn't something you do with a one or two day turnaround. It's like one or two days for the jet lag, right? So it's kind of like a one to two week type trip. You put all that together and you can do the math. You're quickly exceeding corporate America's allowance for what you get, 20 right. days. And in my role, you absolutely could not take those together. You just, it doesn't happen. So here's what happens. I look at that and I'm like, wow, I don't know how I'm gonna put that together. Like one, stumped. Check my company's policies. They had something called a family leave of absence effectively. It was a conditional leave of absence. I could get my manager's approval on. 
So I went to him and I said, would it be possible with me having all this going on to take an unpaid leave of absence for this three week period of time? The pharmacy's in great shape and we can have, you know, help come in to, you know, it'll work out fine. And he looked at me and he said, I don't think it's in the company's best interest for us to let you do that. Now, in the context of later, if I let's 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 flip the script here. If I were 168k in debt, if I were paycheck to paycheck, I would have meekly put my head back down and right. I would have gone to work. Because I mean, that's what, but like this was my fu money, and we'll just call it freedom unlimited for the families, right? Let's keep it <laughs> let's keep it family friendly. But really, you know what it was? It was a freaking superpower. Because with what, what I just laid out for you. It may have seemed risky to say what I said, but I viewed it as an opportunity. I said, I don't think it's in my best interest to stay. And I assume well, that was a little surprising. To Shocked. <laughs> I think I broke him. I can't swear to you. Like I, I would imagine you as- to reach in and get some of the Valium that he keeps <laughs> All right, family friendly. Uh, so, yeah. so, but I mean, this is tilt, right? Like employees don't have the ability to say this 90% of the time when they are paycheck to paycheck, when they don't have investments, when they don't have savings, you don't have that superpower. You can't do that. But if you can create this bandwidth ahead of time, you don't know when you're going to need to lean on this, but at some point you're going to want to flex your FU money. You're going to want to flex your superpower and being on this path, regardless of your absolute number, even, even marginally on this path is going to allow you to really think through your options. And instead of always putting the, your corporate jobs goals ahead of your family's goals and objectives, you can start to look at this objectively and say, what's best for my family? What's best for my life? And I tell you, was the best thing I ever did, you know, just being able to step up because you can always go back. People think about leaving a career as like this one way like thing, you know, it's like a turnstile. You know, if, if it didn't work out, I could always go back. I can go across the street. I can go back. I mean, I didn't burn the bridge. It wasn't mean. I just said, I'm placing my family's values you know, and goals ahead of my corporate goals. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened. Another term, and we mentioned it already, geographic arbitrage. Yeah, I mean, this is something I certainly took great advantage of. I think it's basically moving or considering lower cost of living areas. Now, I think most people hear geo-arbitrage and they think international geo-arbitrage. But mine was an example of United States geo-arbitrage. So for me, living on Long Island, I probably, we were looking at like a four hundred dollars to $500,000 basically starter home that would need a lot of work with $10,000 plus a year in taxes. Now, everything costs more there also. Car insurance costs more. Home heating oil. I mean, everything, literally, across the board. And in Richmond, it, I, it worked out to be about 40% of the cost just for living as compared to Long Island. So for us, well, again, as I said before, this was not an easy decision. It was something that when we looked at the numbers and we looked at the goals that we had for our lives, that was something that became very obvious for our lives. So I think, yeah, I mean, there's many aspects of geo-arbitrage, but ultimately it's looking at how do you get an arrangement where you can spend less and still live a wonderful life in essence. And to add on to that, we had, there are people that are pursuing this, you know, our community is all around the world and they're certainly in Long Island, New York, and they're in Scotts, they're pursuing this in San Diego. They're pursuing it in Coronado. I actually, as I was going through Coronado, cause I'd heard that Coronado in San Diego was like the most expensive place ever. I like Googled this, like I, I, as we were, as we were driving by the street, I saw an address and I was like, all right, that looks like about 1400 square feet. I wonder what that's selling for on Zillow. I checked it out and it was like 1.4 million. I was like, Oh, <laughs> Oh wow. Uh, but, you know, there are people doing this in every place around the country. And around the world. And around the world. And so the thing is, you got to realize you don't necessarily have to leave your home. Like if you're saying that that is something you are not willing to compromise on, you are going to pursue this in your local area, that's fine. 
But you have to also be intellectually honest and say that if you're paycheck to paycheck, you are going to have to do something differently than you are doing right now if you want to get a different result. And again, this call to action, let this be that lightning bolt to your soul to say that these small changes that you make will can and will make a difference, but only if you take action on them. The ideas work. They're great. They are tried and true. They work every time, but only they're only as good as your ability to read them, internalize them and take action upon them. And so that's what I hope, again, this documentary does as people go and check it out and they share it. It's just to raise public awareness of even this idea that small changes that you make can be implemented and have massive impact, not on like this. 40 year timeline. Oh, that that's great. But even in this intermediate timeline, you can get the benefits of this within a couple pay periods. You know, when you have, if you're paycheck to paycheck, you have a thousand dollars for the first time in the bank. And when you can buffer the storms of having a flat tire for the first time, like you can scale this all the way down, but it's not, it's not binary financial independence or not. You get this power every single pay period that you make the choice to save something for your future self. Right. And that's the answer to, again, the FI as a superpower. Right. Think about how much less stressful your life is when you have that little bit of space. So you have if you've been living paycheck to paycheck and now you have one, two, five thousand dollars in the bank, how much easier is your life? And then, okay, you have that as the umbrella, right? I've made these decisions, my life is easier, and now I can focus on things that I actually make me happier. My connections my health, nutrition, all these things, right? So that's why when you ask the question for the lightning answer, which Jonathan regaled you for five minutes is- uh, <laughs> Oh, that was light? Oh, I thought he was yeah. saying it quickly. No, no, no. It's supposed to be a short answer. He's, he's pathologically incapable. You think the lightning, you're the thunder yeah. that yeah. rolls thunder, baby. for a yeah. while. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we keep her around. This is amazing. Yeah. I think it's, it's the power that makes everything else better in your life. That's how I see Phi. So you guys focus on the FI. Most people know of it as the FIRE movement. So I'm just going to keep using that term. Yeah. It has become, um, people are seeing more articles about it. It is getting more attention, but it's also getting some criticism. Like you'll find headlines like why I hate the FIRE movement mm-hmm. or advisors pour water on the FIRE movement. So as I'm sure you've read some of these articles. Are there any myths about the FIRE movement that you'd like to highlight or any criticisms that you've read you think are totally off base? I think... You have to look at the motivations of people that are writing articles. Like, for instance, even when people write about the fire movement, one of the reasons is that this idea is so different than anything you've heard. And you immediately want to find out more, which is great because people need to be paying more attention to their finances. You said America as a statistic has less than 10% savings rate. I remember when it was like negative two. So maybe we're doing better. I don't know. <laughs> but like, it's really bad. It is, we are, it is getting better, by the way. But part of that is thanks to mostly higher income people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So if you look at the savings rate, it's gone up to like over 8% now. Oh. But if you look at, if you break it up by income, mm-hmm. still the average person, it's closer to 5 or 6%. So I think one thing is we are just seeing a natural tendency to figure out what gets more eyeballs. And so one, you know, people click just because it's talking about the fire movement. But then two, I think, and I've noticed this because we've actually had reporters come into like our community and ask for people, hey, is there anybody that tried this and it didn't work for them? And and, and let's write about that. And I know part of that is because people also like to click on you know, why I hate the fire, like these negative, we know that negative sells, right? But to your audience listening to everything we just talked about, is there any downside to having more options in your life? And so I I think the answer is almost unanimously no, obviously not. This is common sense. However you want to frame it and whatever verbiage you want to wrap around it, 
being on this path will, there's no downside, none. And so I think for us in the role that we have and having a podcast, having this platform, we have to be very selective when we try to tackle straw men. You know, we have to look to see if they're actually valid. And I think some of them was, is this just for white male software engineers? And I think definitively we can say, no, that's a, that's a stereotype and I don't know why it exists and that has been dispe- dispelled. And that was one of those er- the earlier criticisms. I yeah. think so. I think as the, as the, what happened is you have the loudest voices in the room. If you look back to like 2012, 2013, you see some trends on who those loudest voices in the rooms are, but this is 2019. And the amazing thing is you're only seeing white male software engineers. If you choose to see white soft male software engineers, I mean, there are literally thousands of people that have been willing to share their story on the internet and the in the form of blogs and podcasts from every walk of life from as much diversity as you could hope for. And you can find someone that reflects that path that you're interested in in finding more information about. And so if you choose to say that's only about white male software engineers, that is a story that you're telling yourself. And I think what we've tried to do over time, even if you, if you look at some of our early interviews, we interviewed the people we knew about. And then as soon as we realized that there is a much broader audience out there, we went and we found them and we told that we did our best to help them tell their story on our show. And so I love how this community has expanded over the last two years. Yeah. And we have a Facebook group with about 55,000 members in it now. And I think the, at least for the last year, year and a half, it has been a majority women. So I think mm-hmm. the last count, it was uh, 54% women. So this caricature, as Jonathan said, just because some of the famous bloggers in 2013 were white males in their 30s, I think we've we've moved beyond that. So I think the other thing that people really focus on negatively is the retire early, as if people are going to sit around and waste away, you know, sitting on a beach drinking umbrella drinks, right? I think most people that I know that are pursuing financial independence are doing it because they want to spend their time as they see fit. And they want to add value to the world and to their communities and their family and their friends as they see fit, not on some arbitrary, I have to clock in at nine and clock out at five every single day of my life. And if pursuing something intentionally allows you to spend five, six, seven decades of your life as you see fit, to me, that's just a universal win. And then the last thing, and I'm trying to, I'm tr- what I'm trying to do is I'm talking about the ones that I think there's validity to at least discussing it for comprehensiveness, as opposed to every negative thing that I've ever seen. The last one that I think is probably worth highlighting for people is that this is not about extreme frugality, nor is it about deprivation at all. Uh, for me to be the ambassador of extreme frugality is, is, is <laughs> laughable at yes. best. You're the reluctant frugal and hypocr- <laughs> Yes. And hypocritical at worst. Frugality is a tool that for me is a means to an end. And, and for a season of time, it served me effectively well. But if we think about this equation that we're all subject to, what you earn minus what you spend equals, we have this gap, right? And so our goal, and we can do any or all, is to focus on the income. Let's raise the income. Let's focus on the expenses. Let's crush the expenses or at least find the balance point. With that gap that we're now trying to grow, let's figure out how to optimize it. And I think if you think about, this is what takes it from some, this is what turns it into a choose your own adventure. I think it is the easiest target when you're starting out, you've had this awakening to first go and look at what your life cost because you can change that instantly. Brian, who we're a huge fan of, Brian Feraldi writes here at Motley Fool, actually now with his financial independence, he offers coaching to friends and family. He does it actually for free. He doesn't need money anymore. Maybe he'll scale something out of that. But 
one of the things that he does is he helps people go through their line items. He's not even focused on financial independence. He's focused on financial wellness, mm-hmm. right? And for them, he's just looking at inefficiencies. He's like, you're paying for this wired subscription that you bought three years ago, but you haven't looked at ever. You've got a $300 a month cable bill, plus Amazon Prime, plus Netflix, plus Hulu. W- w- what are you watching? Oh, well, I just watched my kids. My kids watch Llama Llama. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's going on here? Let's wind this down, right? I mean, like go through the line items of your budget and cut those. Every $100 a month that you can cut from your expenses, monthly recurring expenses is $30,000 less that you need to reach this financial independence number, right? The small things do make a difference. Focus there, focus on the small things, the structural expenses. And then once you've optimized that, or even concurrently, don't just leave that. What would it look like to, if you just have your money sitting in a checking account making 0.01%, I know people, $150,000, I just want it to be safe. It's sitting in a 0.01% interest checking account. Let's optimize that. You can add a whim with one button click, get 2% interest on your money minimum. Let's do that at least. And then let's start looking at getting average market returns in a reliable investment strategy. And you can always complicate things later if you want, but let's, let's at least try to keep up with the market. You know, like the simple things like that. Now we're optimizing the gap. Now let's take a look at income, salary negotiation. We recently talked with Tori Dunlap and Brad, I mean, that statistic was astounding. Yeah. The statistic that Tori mentioned is that women, and she deals mostly with women and negotiating in, in the workplace, that women who don't negotiate ultimately make $1 million less over their working lifetime than people and women who do negotiate. So she had some very tactical strategies and just using common sense language. It was almost like she had these two phrases, and and I don't want to steal her thunder, certainly, but Tori Dunlap is is the woman's name. And, And we actually had two of our community members come up to us at our book signing, uh, literally within 14 days after this episode aired, and said, we used the exact language that Tori mentioned just on your podcast. And these were women who didn't know each other. They were, you know, just happened to do this. The one woman got a $5,000 raise, and the other got a $20,000 raise. Wow. By just standing up, hearing this information, right? So that's what a lot of this does is it normalizes the conversation, right? That's what Choose FI does about financial independence. It makes it not so extreme. There's nothing we're doing that's extreme. We're just living an intentional life. And you pick up these little strategies. Those couple of lines made those two women $25,000. I wonder how many other people out there went into their VPs and asked for those raises. It's, it's incredible. And doesn't Motley Fool have like an ask me for a raise day? We did, yeah. yeah we did Everyone had to ask for a raise, for a raise day. Yeah. 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 When was the last time, if your audience is listening to this, when was the last time they even contemplated giving themselves permission to go to an employer and ask them for a raise? Now, now, just by framing it that way, you're like, well, I don't know what I would say. Yes, that's exactly it. You've never thought of it before. That's a good question. What would I need to say? And you're like, well, I don't want it to sound scripted. It's okay if it's scripted. It's okay that it's not your original line. You don't need to think of this stuff on your own. You just need to ask the question, give your yourself permission to practice it with a friend have them pretend that the boss is in a good mood the boss is in a bad mood like what are you going to say say it a couple times and then commit that you're going to say it i mean that process literally could be worth a million dollars over your working lifetime are you willing to change something some part of the equation are you willing to because otherwise we're just in a drift state and you're going to keep getting the same results you're getting now well, guys, it's time to wrap up the show. Thank you very Thank much you. for coming. Uh, again, our guests have been Brad and Jonathan of the Choose FI website and podcast. Their new book, Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. And they make some cameos in the documentary Playing With Fire, which as of today is now available. Thanks for stopping by, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, this is fun. Thank you. Well, that's the show. 
It's edited independently by Rick Engdahl. <laughs> Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. 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 Everybody.